If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Mark 14, verses 1 through 11. And the title of this sermon is, Is He Worthy? What is the value of something? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, When you go to a restaurant or a store, what makes something the cost that you pay for it? Maybe it's supply and demand. Maybe it's marketing trickery. There's definitely both a science and an art to what price a seller puts on their product, whether it be a food item on a menu or a new pair of shoes at the mall. How do we judge the true value of something? That's the question we'll see on display in our text today. So let's dive in. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. It was now two days before the Passover, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This text is what's known as a Markan sandwich. Uh, We've seen this several times throughout the book of Mark. Uh, It's where Mark writes something, think of it as the top piece of bread, Um, Then he writes another thing, which is the most important thing, the thing he wants you to cue in on. And then he he writes the the other piece of bread that corresponds to what he wrote before at the top. So that's what he does here in this text. That's our structure. So the top piece of bread is hostility to Jesus. We see that in verses 1 and 2. The bottom piece of bread is hostility to Jesus. In verses 10 and 11, we'll discuss another bad reaction or misevaluation of Jesus as well. But the meat of the sandwich is this woman in the middle. She's the one we're meant to focus in on in this text for a very specific reason. So 
I'll give you the main point from the beginning. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. He's worthy of every fiber of our being and every breath in our lungs. No worship of him is too grand and no act of devotion is too extravagant. That's where we're headed. But let's start from the beginning of the text to see that. Point one, our plots versus God's plans. Our plots versus God's plans. Look at verses one and two. It says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chiefs and the scribes were seeking how to arrest um, him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast lest there be an uproar from the people. So here's our first group of people, the chief priests and the scribes. They're hostile to Jesus. They want to kill him. Open antagonism. Maybe you know people like this. They obviously can't physically kill Jesus, but they're openly against him, publicly outspoken. They ridicule Jesus, turn him into the punchline of jokes, mock him. But there's another version that's a lot more subtle, and I'm afraid far more common. And that's the person who creates their own version of Jesus. You know, they like parts of what Jesus says, or parts of who Jesus is, But they like to edit him. They say things like, the the Jesus I believe in wouldn't fill in the blank. Even though the the scriptures clearly have Jesus doing or saying whatever it is that upsets them. You see, what they've actually done there is killed the real Jesus. They're hostile to that Jesus. They want him locked away, arrested, and killed. Friends, we don't have the authority to edit Jesus. He is who the scriptures say he is. And the truth is, if we edit him, our version is subpar to the real him. So are you hostile to Jesus in one way or the other? But here's something for us to consider this morning. It would be easy for us just to roll past and miss in this passage. Even in the face of hostility, God's sovereign plan always wins out. Where do I see that here? Well, notice that Mark goes out of his way to tell us that it was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What's he talking about? Well, in the Old Testament, and we're going to talk a lot more about this next week as well, but in the Old Testament, God's people were slaves in Egypt. We know that God sent multiple signs and then plagues to Pharaoh until finally, in Exodus chapter 12, he told his people to get ready. He told them to kill an unblemished lamb, to take the blood of the lamb, and to spread it over the doorpost in their homes. Then, in Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, 
he says this. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So every year, God's people celebrated a feast to remember God saving them by the blood of an unblemished lamb. That's why the population of Jerusalem was overflowing at this point in Mark. And these hostile scribes said, let's kill him, but not during the feast. And not with all these people here. They wanted to do it in secret or by stealth. So I'll ask, did their plan work? No. Jesus died during Passover. That was God's plan from the beginning of time. He wanted them and us and all Christians throughout history to see that Jesus is the better Passover lamb, whose blood saves us from certain death. It wasn't God's plan for this to be done secretly either. It happened when Jerusalem was most full. I love what J.C. Ryle says. He says, in every way, the counsel of these wicked men was turned to foolishness. They thought they were going to put an end forever to Christ's spiritual kingdom. And in reality, they were helping to establish it. God's sovereign plan thwarts hostile plots every time. So there's our first piece of bread. Let's move on in the text. Point two, worshiping Jesus. Worshiping Jesus. Look with me at verses three through five. It says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. First off, I love this little detail here in the text. Mark could have just left it vague, right? He could have just said, Jesus was at a party in a house with some people. But he includes that Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon, the leper. It's implied that this leper is no longer a leper, right? Or else these people wouldn't be at a party with him. Most likely, Jesus has healed this man. And now he's hosting Jesus and others. Do you see what the grace and mercy of God does? It leads to hospitality. It leads to giving of yourself and your space for Jesus. So, Simon the leper is hosting a party. And in walks, the text tells us, a woman. She's unnamed in Mark. But when we look at John chapter 12, we see that this woman was Mary. 
Also at the party are Martha, her sister, and Lazarus, who Jesus brought back from the dead. What a party, right? Imagine that. So, Mary came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Very costly. The text later tells us that it was worth more than 300 denarii. Let me put this into perspective for us. One denarius was a day's wage for an average person. In other words, when you take out the Sabbath days, that's a year's salary. Do you catch that? She dumped a year's salary on Jesus' head. We'll talk more about this later, but can we just stop and take that in? A full year's salary. I don't know what you make in a year, but consider that. Consider whatever you make in a year, pouring it out on Jesus. And look at what the text tells us. She broke the flask, poured it over his head. She could have maybe cracked open the top a little bit and dabbed a bit on Jesus' head and feet. She could have poured out a little bit and kept the rest. But she doesn't. She doesn't hold anything back. And she doesn't seem to care what others think of her in that room. This is extravagant devotion. Is he worthy? All right. We'll come back to Mary in just a moment, but let's see what the two responses to this act were. First, we have the response of the disciples and those in the house. Verses 4 and 5. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like this? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Notice that these are, for lack of a better term, Jesus fans. They're in the house. They're at the party. They're friends of Jesus. We don't know who's all there, but we know that at least the 12 are there. And other than Judas... They're all very pro-Jesus at this point. And yet, they're critical of Mary's worship. This word, indignant, it's the same word that was used in Mark 10, 41. You remember when James and John asked to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus. The other disciples were pretty ticked off. They're upset at them. Come on, what are you thinking? word indignant same word then the text says that they scolded her you can imagine the types of things that they may have said to her mary that was ridiculous what in the world were you thinking are you insane the text tells us in verse four that they called it a waste what a waste mary I have to admit, if, if I had been there at the party, I, pr 
probably would have been one of the ones criticizing her, to my shame. Shannon can tell you, uh, early on in marriage, and today, I'm very aware of what things cost. I'm, let's call it, thrifty. (laughs) Mary, do you realize what that costs? Here's the deal. This isn't just an insult to Mary. It's an insult to Jesus. Imagine if you were given a gift and the entire room started heaping insults on the giver, saying, what a waste! What are you doing? That insults you. She was honoring Christ, and they called it a waste. Is he worthy? Then they bring out the big guns, the poor. I don't know if they're sincere or not. And this text isn't saying that we should just ignore the poor. There are are plenty of other texts that tell us to take care of the poor. But have you ever heard someone use the poor as a battering ram? Oh, man! You're taking a vacation? What about the poor? You bought school supplies for your kids? What about the poor? You took your family out to eat? What about the poor? God wants us to to genuinely care about the poor, not to use them as a weapon of guilt. Listen, the, the issue here isn't their care for the poor. The issue is their misevaluation of Jesus. You see, we should care about the poor. We should value them. But we should value Jesus above all things. That's the point. That's where these guys went wrong. Their devotion to Christ was moderate. It was respectable. They were okay with just a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of devotion. But they weren't okay with Mary and her expensive, reckless gift. Again, J.C. Ryle says this well. He says, There is never wanting a generation of people who decry what they call extremes in religion and are incessantly recommending what they term moderation in the service of Christ. If a man devotes his time, money, and affections to the pursuit of worldly things, they do not blame him. If he gives himself up to the service of money, pleasure, or politics, they find no fault. But if the same man devotes himself and all he has to Christ, they can scarcely find words to express their sense of his folly. He is beside himself. He is out of his mind. He's a fanatic. He's an enthusiast. He's an extreme man. In other words, they regard that as a waste. So understand this. Worship of Jesus in moderation isn't worship at all. Are you all in? Or are you more concerned with having a decent, respectable, moderate religion that never raises any eyebrows? Is he worthy? I mentioned 
that there were two different responses here in the text to Mary's actions. The first was the critics, but there's a second. Look at Jesus, verses 6 through 9. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Isn't that amazing? While others are absolutely criticizing, Jesus defends her. He calls what she did beautiful. Why? Because she knew what Jesus was worth. She correctly valued Jesus. Let me give you a scenario. Let's say one of you went and spent a whole year's salary and bought me a Rolex, a gold one. And then I was like, yeah, I'm worth that. That's completely appropriate. That wouldn't be beautiful, would it? It'd be gross, right? But Jesus calls what she did beautiful. Understand this. It's only beautiful if he is who he says he is. It's not an inappropriate gift. He's the son of God, the firstborn of all creation, the alpha and omega, the lion and the lamb, the better Adam. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the redeemer of the world. He's worthy, and this is beautiful. Do you remember the last woman that we saw in the book of Mark? Chapter 12. A a widow who gave her last two pennies in devotion to God. And here we have Mary, who dumped a year's salary over Jesus' head. Do you see it? Jesus looks at the widow who gave next to nothing and says, Yes, that's it! what I want. He looks at Mary, who gave big time, and he says, yes, that's it. This is beautiful because he's worthy. There's no gift too small or too big when given with a heart of devotion. He's worthy. He's worthy of all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's worthy of extravagant devotion. True worship of Jesus is never a waste. And it's impossible to love Christ too much. Jesus rightly calls what she did beautiful. Then, in verse 7, he's not knocking on the poor. We've already talked about that. But he's again showing them a proper valuation of himself. Third, look at verse 8. I love this. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Do you get that? Jesus isn't asking us to do what we can't. 
But he's joyous when we do what we can. She has done what she could. Her devotion wasn't halfway. She did what she could. So the question is, what can you do? Whatever it is, don't do it halfway. Be all in with wholehearted, extravagant devotion to Christ. Jesus calls what she did beautiful. He affirms her valuation of him. He praises her for doing what she could. And fourth, he points out that she anointed him for burial and that it wouldn't be forgotten. Jesus has been forecasting his death over and over and over again. None of the disciples seem to really get it. We don't even really know if Mary got it yet. But Jesus says that she anointed him for burial. So think about this. Because of the speed of Jesus' death and burial, he didn't receive the normal Jewish burial process, complete with anointing and spices. This, here in our text today, was the only burial preparation that he received. Do you realize how special this is? Again, let's go back to the Rolex example before. But instead of me, it's your son or your daughter or your best friend in the world. Let's say they're going away somewhere for certain death. You're going to see them one last time. Does any gift seem too extravagant or too loving in that moment? Are you penny-pinching or concerned about the cost or what anyone else in the room thinks in that moment? No, you're not. That's what Jesus is saying. What she did was beautiful. It was the right valuation. It was generous and open-handed grace-filled preparation for the burial of the king of kings. Because of that, she will never be forgotten. We're talking about her today. He's saying to the disciples, I know that what you think she did was wasteful. Here and gone in a moment, a moment of lavishness that has no lasting impact, but you're wrong. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Again, why does Jesus want her to be remembered? Because her act showed everyone else how valuable Jesus is. She glorified him. So, I'll ask us the question this morning. Does your life show the people around you how valuable Jesus is? Does your life show the people around you how valuable Jesus is? He's worthy. Do those in your sphere of influence know it by watching you? So we've seen the antagonistic scribes trying to kill and arrest Jesus. We've seen a beautiful display of extravagant devotion. Now, we'll see our bottom piece of bread. Not much different from the top one. 
Point three, using Jesus. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Do you understand what's gone on here? Judas, who's been following Jesus around as one of his disciples, is done. He's been walking with Jesus simply because of what he thought he could get out of it. He was using Jesus. We learn in John chapter 12 that he was upset here specifically because he was stealing from the money bag and he had hoped to sell the perfume. Was he following Jesus for hoped for fame, maybe, or actual riches? Who knows? But it's apparent that he couldn't handle someone being completely devoted to Jesus with no other motive but worship. So, he goes and he sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, which was a relatively small sum in comparison to what Mary just did in our text. He was willing to sell Jesus out for so little. Are you? See, none of us reads the Bible and sees ourselves as Judas, do we? But so many of us resemble him in so many ways. We're willing to sell Jesus out to get a laugh. But when it comes to being liked by the culture... Or when it comes to Jesus' views on sexual immorality. We're willing to sell him out for so little. We are so unworthy. But he is worthy. Mary knew this. Judas did not. The contrast between Mary and Judas here couldn't be more stark. But again... This story isn't about Mary. It's about her Savior. Jesus left left heaven to come to earth, taking on flesh. He lived a perfect life in every single way. He went to the cross to pay for every single time each of us have sold, sold him out. For every sin that we've ever committed. He was killed, buried. And then rose again victorious three days later as our representative. He calls us to turn from our sin and to trust him with everything. So in closing, and in light of this text, I want us to ask ourselves some heart-level questions that we've got up here on the screen. Number one, if Jesus has changed you Like Simon the leper, if that's true of you, are you hospitable to others, reflecting Jesus' character? Second, do you tend to be critical of other people's genuine and extravagant worship? Three, are you all in on worshiping Jesus? And point four, is he worthy? When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, 
my richest gain, I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray.